0: Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I'm back. <laughs> Actually, I kind of just sound like my child, Wilder. She has been singing a song that somebody told me was, I think, a character on Sesame Street. I don't know, but it goes like this. You gotta try new foods cause they might taste good. Yeah, I'm serious I just did that And no, I am not trying out for The Voice or American Idol Or whatever the new show is I know I probably should And you may not hear a lot more singing from me So appreciate that one that is your advice for the day about trying new food. By the way, my daughter does not heed her own advice, but she still likes singing the song and getting it stuck in my head on every run and bike ride I do. So I'm passing along the favor. You got to try new foods because they might taste good. <laughs> okay, enough. Um, I've entertained myself. Now it's time to entertain you guys. You are going to love this episode. Skirt Sports has an ambassador program, and it's based around our slogan, Real Women Move. It's about real women, real bodies, real inspiration. All of the people that we bring into the program are truly just genuine, sincere people who just want to help other people find happiness in their lives and their values align with Skirt Sports values, and they are all so special My goal and hope was that I would be able to interview some of them. Today, you are going to hear our first interview with one of our ambassadors. Her name is Jennifer LaForge. She goes by Jen because that's just how she is. She's very cool and, as I said, very real. She also is very open and honest about some tough things, and hopefully those of you listening we will be able to find some very positive things to take home from this. Today, we talk about careers. We talk about the blooming and the changing of careers. We talk about why asking why is important. We talk about how mistakes shape our paths more than successes do. And she even has some really cool tips to help you discover what you were meant to do in this world. It's kind of like this crazy big thing, and and I love how she frames it. And then we get to some serious stuff, and we really get down and dirty on postpartum depression in a really personal way um, that I hope you will be able to really hear today and maybe even take to someone who might need it. And finally, we talk about that all-important question of both body image and body acceptance and how maturity really helps us get there. So, let's let's take a minute here, take a breath and get ready for this awesome episode. But before we get going, we are going to hear a word from our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Skirt Sports, a company that I founded after winning the 2004 Ironman Wisconsin wearing a running skirt, the very first ever worn in professional competition. I then went on to launch a brand that I am so proud of. We've been around for over a decade. We've grown from just running skirts to become a full line of women's fitness apparel from head to toe for hot weather, for cold weather, for all kinds of activities. But the greatest thing about skirt sports is that we provide products basically that make women happy and we do not discriminate. We welcome women of all shapes, all sizes, all ages, all levels of activity. We are the most inclusive brand in the market and we love hearing from you. We love you so much that we are offering a quarterly giveaway of $150 gift certificate that you can redeem online at skirtsports.com or if you live in or around Boulder, Colorado, come into our retail store on the corner of 28th and Pearl Street and redeem it in person. We love to see you and we'll help you by giving you a personal shopping experience that you would never find anywhere else. So go over to our Skirt Sports Facebook page, click on the giveaway tab and make sure you sign up. We will pick one winner every quarter. So on that note, I hope you enjoy the show today. All right, everybody. This is so cool. I am here today with Jen LaForge. Hello, Jen. Hey Nicole, how are you? So here we are. This is this has been such a fun journey for me to start this podcast called Run This World, and I interview people who are visionaries and making change in the world. And they've they've been um, a selection of Olympic medalists and elite athletes and founders of companies. And today I'm talking to you, and you're (laughs) a real person, and you're not a founder of a company, and you're not an Olympic athlete. No, But there's something really cool and really special about you. And I knew it the first time I met you that we needed to get your story out here.
1: So I've got
0: to. Oh, it's so cool. I've got to start. I've got to tell everybody how we met. Okay. okay.
1: All
0: right. And you can add to this story. Um, But I was on a a sales trip in Texas and I was visiting a store called Luke's Locker and they put up a, a little fun run. And some people local from the community came, and we, of course, Skirt Sports, let all of our ambassadors know that I might be traveling around, and if anybody wanted to come and hang out, um, this would be a good opportunity. So on that note, Skirt Sports has a large ambassador program around the country where we align with women who understand our philosophy and who are behind our Real Women Move campaign. So We'll get into that in a minute. But it's cool because I'm standing there, and it was a small turnout that day at Luke's Locker, and there were a few women, and one came in dressed all in skirt sports head to toe, and I was like, that's got to be Jen. I was tipped (laughs) off that you were going to show up. Oh, Jen, I love that. Oh, it's so cool. You, You know, the first, right off the bat, it's just an immediate connection. You're just amazing. You're awesome. And within five minutes of meeting you, we were out running together.
1: Yeah, well, the part of that that um, is a little crazy to me is it didn't. As I was driving there, I was thinking about this fun run, and I'm thinking, well, surely there's going to be some slower women because you know I'm like a 10 to 11 minute pace girl, and I thought this won't be a big deal, and there'll be some women I can hang with, and then you can tell them what happened when we started running.
0: (laughs) Oh well, it you know basically everybody took off and. Fortunately, I was, I was your pace that day, baby. All well, you had I, to
1: do. Yeah. Well, that's gracious of you to say because I'm like, oh, sure. She's won Ironman competitions. This won't be a big deal. I mean, I'm a two, minute, two hour, 30 minute half marathoner. This should be easy. <laughs> well, you know what's
0: really cool is there are certain people who just, they've got to get their workout in and it doesn't matter. But I've reached a point in my life where I don't care. If I, if I ask someone to run with me or people show up and we're slated to run together, I am not going to go off and leave them in the dust. And you know what, that day, that 10 minute, pa- uh, 10 minute pace was absolutely perfect for me. And it, what was really hilarious is that our little run loop took us along like a frontage road of a highway. That's right. So here I am running with you and we're having this insanely awesome and deep conversation running along a highway. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, and you know, when you're, when you're not the fastest runner, I'm um, the way to my heart. It's not, you know, you're an amazing human being on every level, but the fact that you not only ran with me, but you didn't make it a big deal. You weren't like, Oh, I'm slowing way down to be able to run conversationally with you. It was just a run with a friend. And, uh, I just want you to know, I'll never forget that. I really appreciated it.
0: Well, you know what? Same here. And one of the reasons that you are on today and we're having this conversation is because you shared with me, first and foremost, your professional journey. One of the first things I always ask is, what do you do? Right? I'm curious. I like to know. And you were totally open and I was really blown away with the path you've taken. And so I really just want want to let you have the opportunity to share with our listeners your path and your journey. and we're gonna like, we're gonna dawdle on some parts and pull out some pieces um, because I think there's a lot of lessons in there.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's to me, it doesn't seem that remarkable. I think for a lot of women, our own lives seems like sort of this pedestrian story that isn't that big of a deal. But um, it, it is kind of interesting. I started, uh, gosh, 12 years ago now. Uh, I started working for a large, large church in the Dallas area, um, started in children's ministry, worked in different areas, got a little bit more education, and ended up working um, as a pastor um, for over a decade. So real
0: quick on that note, (laughs) how many other women were pastors in the church?
1: Um, Well, none were ordained. There were a few that had the responsibility, but not the job title. Uh, And so as I, as I kind of did the job, I was like, you know, there's, there's there's something to do with tax benefits and other things, but I'm going, we're doing the same job as the men that have the title. We really ought to have the title. And so I started asking the question about ordaining women, and I was first told, oh, well, we don't ordain women. And because, you know, it's me, I've always got to ask, well, why? Give me the reason why. And um, we had a lot of discussions, and finally uh, ended up being the first woman ordained in the history of the church, which. I I felt very proud about, but more than feeling proud, I kind of felt like, well, it was about time that women doing the same role as men were doing, received the same job title, the same tax benefits. Um, And it it was a big moment for me. And I feel like it was a big moment forward um, for the church as well.
0: You know, it's funny when that should be a huge celebration, but it felt almost like a dubious honor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it did. And, and really nothing changed. I mean, I had my ordination ceremony, which was very meaningful and very powerful to me. Um, I think any pastor would say that it's such a hallmark moment in your life and people are, are sort of affirming this calling on your life. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd been doing the job already for, at that point, six years. Nothing changed other than people would start calling me Reverend Jen, which I thought was funny, but... <laughs> I, I <love>
0: it. <laughs>
1: All right, Rev. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'll go ahead and tell the rest of that story. Um, loved my job, loved the families, loved being there. Um, loved things like going to the hospital, being there for families when they were in their worst times, whether that was a child with cancer, um, but also doing things like wedding ceremonies and performing funerals and then just the day to day, um, a lot of people don't know running a church in a lot of ways, especially a church that was the size that ours is, um, is kind of like a small corporation. So you have all the business things that go along with that as well. Um, so it's was a very rewarding job for me. I felt like I really gave it everything that I had and, um, loved the job. The church started taking a little bit of a turn backwards in regards to women. And I felt myself fighting more and more for other women to be ordained, for other women to be hired by the church and to be encouraged. And it just wasn't happening. So one day, uh, and I think I told you this on our run, I'll try not to go on too long here because I really could, but I was watching PBS with my husband and I can't remember now, the name of the documentary series, we'll have to go and look it up, but it was about different women in history. Was it The Makers, maybe?
0: Yep, it was The Makers. The Makers,
1: thank you. And they were talking about the women of NASA, and they had the first class of female astronauts, which I've, I could be wrong. I think it was 1978. And I am looking at these women, and I just burst into uncontrollable, ugly crying. <laughs> my sweet, adorable husband looks at me and he's like, okay, this is a good documentary, but what is going on? (laughs) Like clearly there's more going on. And I said, you know, I was eight years old when this first class of women were allowed to become astronauts and nobody talked to me about it. Nobody watched it with me. Nobody said, wow, look how cool that is. You know, you could have been, or you could be an astronaut. That's something you can attain to be. And I realized that I had been raised in such a conservative environment. And now my mom, because she'll probably listen to this, I will tell you, was very, sub, uh, I would call her a subversive feminist, right? She, she was in a very conservative environment, but she was always telling me, you can really be anything you want. You know, you, you're, our culture may be pushing you this certain way, but you can be anything you want. And um, I realized that I didn't want to be in an environment that didn't empower women to do and be anything and everything they could be for one more minute. And I don't know, Nicole, if you've had those moments in your life. Actually, I know that you have where like the light bulb goes off and, and something that was tolerable up until that one moment is suddenly not tolerable anymore. Yeah. Oh yes. And
0: I think everyone listening can relate to that. And often there is an outburst of ugly crying, (laughs) which I, I think that's my new favorite term because I've never seen someone do pretty crying and we're all like slightly paranoid about how our crying face looks. (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, literally the next day, uh, you know, Scott and I stayed up talking much of that night. He's always been my sounding board and the one that just, he'll just let me go on and on and on and say, here's what I think you're saying. And kind of gets me to that point of decision. And, um, I realized that I could no longer do it. And, Faced a lot of pushback, especially from women that were looking at me as someone that was pushing our church forward and felt like I was giving up. But to me, I was kind of being a fraud by seeming to support a system that I knew I just couldn't support. And to be really clear, that church has done amazing things in the community. I have nothing but love for all of them. But for me, I couldn't move forward in that position. And so you knew it. Yeah.
0: And you had to, you faced the facts and you didn't have the next career path, but you knew you couldn't stay any longer. Hey, this is a theme. Think about people who've been through divorce. Think about other people who are changing their careers. You know, whatever it is in life, there comes a moment when you're like, I have got to have one of the hardest conversations I've ever, I'm ever going to have.
1: How did you do that? So, um, someone told me a long time ago, and I don't remember where this came from, but you know, if there's anything worse than a dead body in the room, it's leaving the corpse to rot, right? <laughs> so when <laughs> that's a very true and vivid point, <laughs> it is, right? Because when you know that the thing has died, it, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It's gone. You have to release it. You can't just sit there and pretend that there's not this dead body in the room. And so, It it, it was this sense of urgency of uh, I had a great conversation with our uh, senior pastor, our executive pastor. Um, I said, really, for me, this is becoming a ethical issue um, and I I just can't move forward um, in my current um, environment. I gave my two weeks notice. I had no idea what I was going to do next. It was one of those moments where you're like, okay, I I feel like there's a bigger plan here than what's right in front of me. And I'm just going to step out literally in faith and trust that. And I truly believe this, Nicole, every single human, right? There is a path that we're supposed to take. And it's frequently very circuitous. We go all different routes. And a lot of times our mistakes form that path more than anything else that we do. But when you know that it's time to step out, you just do it. And I think that your mission and your passion rises up to meet you.
0: Wow. That is, I mean, I'm relating to every part of, of this story right now. I mean, the fact that your mistakes are in a sense more powerful than your successes. And sometimes you've just got to take a step and you don't even know where your foot is going to land. And it's what holds people back and keeps them stuck in situations where they're stalled out, um, because they, they feel this need to know where that next landing is going to be.
1: Well, and it's, it's all about fear and control. You know, I mean, you, you and I were chatting before we started recording about your adventure in the store and you step out and yes, you have a plan and yes, you do your homework and, and you do all of those things, but really when it comes down to it if you wait until you have all your ducks in a row and all the perfect information to make a change or make a move you're never going to do anything right you're going to stay right where you are even if it's where you know you're not supposed to be
0: it's a really good point the term paralysis by analysis uh this is a dangerous thing really is
1: yeah so kind of was done with that um wasn't sure what was going to be next. Um, I hope it's okay to name the name of my company. I didn't call our PR firm, but I think they'll be okay with it. Um, <laughs> went to work uh, for a company called The Container Store. I picked up a copy of a book called Uncontainable by Kip Tindell, and he's our founder and now chairman of the board. And in the first chapter, he said very clearly, I actually prefer women. Um, as leaders than men I find them to be more effective <laughs> and I thought, okay I think I might be able to go to work for this company and connected with LinkedIn with one of the recruiters and I said and this always cracks me up to this day I said I want to work for your company I will clean the toilets if I have to not knowing that we clean the bathrooms ourselves the employees take care of the maintenance and my very first shift um, starting at the bottom in sales I had my head in a toilet and was cleaning the toilets. I thought, you better be careful what you say on LinkedIn because things actually come true.
0: (laughs) Oh, that is so funny because they were probably like, well, good because you're going to be
1: cleaning the toilets. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I found myself in retail for the first time in my life. And I found a lot of parallels because at the end of the day, and Nicole, I think you're this way too. I just really love helping people. I love whether that's helping them work through their marriage or helping them get inspired to become the athlete they always knew they could be, or in my case now, helping them, you know, get their home organized so they can have time to spend with their family because they can find their car keys and they can get out the door in the morning. Um, Helping people live a higher quality of life. I think I've narrowed in. That's really my passion Um, with all the different fields I've worked in. Everything, it all comes down to that is helping them take where they are and, and amp that up to the next level of where they could be. So how did you
0: figure out within yourself that helping people was one of the driving forces in your life and that that needed to be um, a present in whatever job you were going to do in the future?
1: Well, I think there's two different ways to be tired. Um, There's a way to be tired when you're done doing something where you are completely drained and ineffectual as a person, right? You're just, we've all had, for me, that would be like if you if you made me be an accountant and sit in a room. Now, someone who is an accountant would not say this, but if you made me sit in a room with numbers all day, at the end of that day, I would be spent. I would have no emotional energy. I would have nothing to bring to anything else in my life. When I have a day spent helping people, I may be completely exhausted at the end of that day. But it's a kind of exhaustion. That's how you feel after a great run, right? You've left it all out on the field, you gave it everything you have, and you feel great about what you did. So you still have this um, amazing amount of emotional energy to bring to the rest of your life. Because even though you gave it everything you have, it's it's um, life giving, not life draining. And that's how I feel when I am helping people. That is life-giving to me, not life-draining.
0: So for people listening, if they are trying to do some soul searching to figure out what is their driving force, how would you encourage them? How would would that process look?
1: I think they're going to have to do some introspection and it takes some time, which I know a lot of the women listening are working. They've got kids. The thought of taking that time to, to be introspective like that seems impossible, but whether they can, you know, get a weekend away, if they can do it as a formal retreat, a lot of great, um, companies all over the country offer this as sort of a retreat to get away. But if nothing else, go back through your life path and think about when were the times when you felt the most alive, what were you doing? What was the activity? Who were the people involved? Um, And I think you have to be a student of your own life. You have to pick up all of those clues that have been laid out for you, but very infrequently do we go and connect those dots and say, if if I'm going to be honest, I was happiest when? And even if all you did was make a list of those things, if you step back and look at the list, you're probably going to see some common themes that apply to every time in your life when you really felt that you were your most authentic self.
0: This is really cool because you know, this podcast is also about health and fitness and in some cases running and athletics. And one of the things that being an athlete does for us, it allows us to get more in tune with our bodies. Right. And you're talking about a way to get more in tune with your soul. And I love that. I think it's such a cool parallel.
1: Well, and it's all the same thing, right? I mean, I I, I truly believe we were created mind, body and soul. And in the modern world, we have done such a great job of dissecting those into different parts. But how often are we hearing now that, um, you know, emotional stress causes physical ailments, we know that. Um, And emotional stress is frequently caused by not living an authentic life. So making all those things work together is what makes a well rounded person, someone who can walk into the world and actually enjoy their days and not wake up every morning dreading what's in front of them, which I think really should be the goal, right? We should wake up excited about what it is we have to do.
0: We should, and we don't always. And it's normal sometimes to not have that, but you want your baseline in life to feel that
1: way. Absolutely. And you know, that's every team I've ever led. I always say the same thing. 20% of the time, you're not going to love what you're doing that's life. You've still got to pay the bills. You've got it. Well, for me, paying the bills is what I don't enjoy. Maybe someone else loves that part of their life, but (laughs) you still have to do these things that keep things moving forward. But if it's like 60% of the time you're miserable in what you're doing, it's, and certainly if it's more than that, it is for sure time to reevaluate.
0: I agree. So you mentioned if you're not living an authentic life, you may be in danger of emotional distress. So, what does living an authentic life mean to you?
1: It means living in your own truth. And I think that that's different for every single person. And if I'm working with a woman, whether that's just a friend that I'm talking to, or when I was in ministry, or if I'm, you know, chatting with someone at work, it's really obvious when someone really doesn't know their own truth. And I won't go into, you know, there's a lot of components to that. There's a lot of emotional damage that's done to people. There's a lot of abuse situations where we literally are blind to our own truth. And it takes some work to figure that out. For me, that meant um, a couple of years of some pretty intensive counseling, which was kind of tough because I was working as a pastor at that point, you know, counseling others and really realized I needed to do some work myself. Not everyone has that available to them. So I would for sure seek help. Maybe it's through your church. Maybe it's through your community center. Maybe it's just talking with friends, but figuring out what brings me joy and how do I want to be spending my days and how can I craft a life that is moving in that direction? And it's not going to happen overnight. If you are a single mom and you're supporting four kids and you hate your job, but it puts food on the table, guess what? For a while until you can figure this out, that's what you're going to have to do, right? I mean, I I know it's easy for me to say, Oh, just quit your job and go do something else. For many women, that isn't an option, right?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, I fully agree. And I just love how open you are too, because there's a lot of almost shame around going to see a therapist and doing those things that you talked about, opening yourself up, being vulnerable with friends. I mean, about issues that are are tough to discuss.
1: Well, you hit on something a minute ago that I think, um, is important that we learn more from our failures than our successes, but what do we tend to share with other women? Well, yeah. I mean,
0: look at social media,
1: right? Right. (laughs) Nobody's really sharing all their daily failures. No, ma'am. They are not. So we create this environment where to say, Hey, I'm kind of a train wreck today. Would you, um, think about me? Would you give me a call and help me out? Um, we're not doing that for each other. So the very thing that we could be learning from each other, we've thrown away in place of everything's beautiful and fine. And my kids are perfect. And my husband's perfect. And my dog is perfect. And I think we're slowly all, um, we all think that we're all frauds, but the truth is we are all frauds. (laughs) We're all all saying everything's fine, Nicole, and it's not because we're humans. So if we can live
0: as a fraud, but say we're a fraud, are we really actually authentic? (laughs) That was a
1: very existential thing that you just said. And I I think I'm going to go crazy if I think about that too much. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, you know, let's shift a little bit because there's an issue that I know is really important to you that can stem from this. And it's going a little bit deep here, but I like to talk a little bit about depression because a lot of athletes uh, struggle with this. I mean, people everyone struggles with this, right? But at different levels and at different times in our lives. And I want to understand your connection to depression.
1: So I um, had never had anything even close to depression growing up at all. Uh, Right after my twins were born, I suffered a horrible bout of depression. I won't go into too much detail with that. Unfortunately, I was not diagnosed. Um, I will say this because I think there might be a woman listening that needs to hear it. Um, I was experiencing symptoms that had I gotten treatment probably would have been characterized as um, uh, postpartum psychosis, you know, images of hurting my children and which, you know, talk about being vulnerable. If you're going to admit that on a podcast that anybody can listen to, you'll admit anything. But I was terrified. I would not cook with the kids in the same room with me. I was separating myself and I had three month old twins and I told no one, didn't tell my husband, didn't tell my best friend, didn't tell my mother. And I'm a very open person. So that should have been a huge red flag. It it dissipated. Um, and then like five years later, I was watching Brooke Shields on Oprah. And she was talking about her postpartum psychosis. And I just started, again, with the ugly crying, that seems to be a theme with me. But um, I realized that that's what I had experienced. And depression can be kind of a little bit like, um, (laughs) mono and Epstein bar, right? Like you get it. And then it tends to come back and it tends to kind of creep its ugly head back over and over again. And, um, I guess, let's see, how old am I now? I'm 46 and I was about 36. So it was about 10 years ago. I was having another bad bout of depression and, um, I was about ready to go on medication. And again, you'll you'll read this if anybody that goes to my blog will read this. I am 100% a fan of medication if that's appropriate for you. Um, but my friend had said, why don't you try running and just see what happens? You know, go out and run for 10 minutes every day. And at the time, Nicole, I couldn't even run a mile without stopping. I was the girl that would run around the track and whine you know, the one and the PE coach would be like, well, not LaForge. I was Riley then, but what are you doing? We're not here all day. And I'd be chatting with my friends and oh, I was horrible about exercise. So I started running like mailbox to mailbox through our neighborhood. And it took me three months to be able to run one mile without stopping.
0: But here's the cool thing. Okay. This is, this is amazing by the way. And the fact that you're being open about some of these really difficult issues, I truly believe that some people listening are going to feel some comfort and they may even want to reach out to you. Yeah. And so at the end here, I and on com on the show notes, I will have ways that they can contact you. Okay.
1: Yes. yes, I would love that. That would be awesome.
0: Remember, Jen has been a pastor in her life. <laughs> she is a professional.
1: <laughs> oh, golly. Yeah. I, I sometimes think people become pastors and counselors who just want to sit in the muck with other people. <laughs> you, you need that vulnerability to be surrounded by it to be healthy. but
0: um, Oh, it helps. But you know what's cool about this story, too, on the running side? I mean, first of all, the fact that you kept going for three months to, to get to the mile point, because you said it was a mile, right?
1: Yep, one mile.
0: I mean, most people wouldn't, wouldn't keep going. So what about it kept pushing you? Why didn't you give up after the first time?
1: Well, first of all, I'm very stubborn. And those of you that, you know, it's been a really long time since Nicole ran her first mile. But for me, its I still remember it. Your heart is pounding and you feel like you're going to die any second. <laughs> like there's, there's, there's no question that this is not a good idea. But something in me go, just kept saying, you know what? Other women your age do this. You can do this. Just stick it out. And there is a rhythm to running that's very um, methodical that becomes almost like meditation. And um, you had just interviewed; it was amazing. And now I can't remember the name of who you were talking about meditation and running. Didn't I think you did somebody on a podcast?
0: Oh, it might have been Molly Barker, the founder of Girls on the Run.
1: That's right, because she was talking about how running can become meditation, and it it was slowly. I felt like it was healing. Something inside me that needed to be healed. Um, I'd also recently lost my uh, my father, and there was just this whole thing going on. And it was a I was alone. I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, I had two seven year olds and a ten year old. So that's a pretty demanding life place, right? I, I had a full time job, two seven year olds, and a ten year old, and um, it was alone. Nobody could reach me. I didn't take my phone with me, so I could just which isn't probably the safest idea, but I needed that time to be alone. And it started to rebuild something in me that I think was, was damaged.
0: You know, I think it's a incredible message here. I love the idea of running as meditation, not medication. Mm -hmm. And I totally relate to and agree with the idea that every person is unique and mm-hmm. so for some people who are dealing with uh, depression or other issues, medication is the absolute right track. And for other people, maybe be open to trying other and different things.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, one mile led to two, led to three. Um, and then all of a sudden I was training for a half marathon. I remember the first, I still look at that running that first mile. I remember that moment as every bit as significant as when I crossed the finish line for my first marathon because it was so hard to get there. Uh, and it, it just felt like, okay, I can, I'm a different person now that I can run a mile without stopping. That may sound dumb, but in, in the, at the time it felt like I had just, I might as well have run a marathon, right? Because I, I had done something I never thought I could do.
0: Well, here's the thing. It's all relative for all of us. And so the fact that running a mile was like a marathon, so many people can relate to that. I mean, we have that in, in so many areas of our lives and I love it. And possibly did you start to shift in your brain, the identity of who you are? And instead of, you know, what, however you identified yourself in the past, maybe part of who you are could be a runner.
1: Oh, I never would have thought I was, I would never have considered myself an athlete in a million years. So to have been 36 years old, 35, 36 years old, and all of a sudden realized that my body was capable of things I had no idea it could even do, that, I mean, you feel like you can move mountains when you realize that about yourself. Because although I'm not um, as fast as some, I never like to say I'm slow. I'm not as fast as some. Um, I can run all day long. I mean, the endurance piece of it, which we, we now know women are typically stronger at endurance than men. I just fell in love with the process and, you know, running a, a, you know, 15, 20 mile training run, there's a piece in there where you don't even feel like you're running anymore. Your body's just doing what it's doing. And that I never would have imagined that when I was, you know, 12 and the coach was yelling at me to get my fanny around the track. So, um, it, it changes everything on every level when you can do something you never imagined yourself doing.
0: Oh, for sure. And it's like a light bulb moment. You're like walking on clouds saying, oh my gosh, I ran a mile. I'm a runner. I can run. Well, let's talk about let's talk about our bodies for a minute here because part of this process also is you you look at people who you see as runners and they look a certain way and most people don't look like Olympic athletes or elite runners and they're not always smiling the whole time and enjoying the whole thing every step of the way. So what's that, what's the process been for you with your own body and has running changed the way you look at your body?
1: It for sure has. Um, Unfortunately, it hasn't changed the way my body looks as much as I would always like. Um, And I would definitely say I'm one of those women that you wouldn't necessarily look at me and think, no, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I love the way my body looks because it does what I need it to do. It's funny. I just had my annual physical this morning. And um, there was a couple things she said. My blood pressure and my heart rate are both really low, which we know is kind of typical for runners. And that made me laugh because I I don't consider my, she's like, oh, well, you must be an athlete. She actually said those words to me. And I was like, okay. Um, But I I think you look at your body as as a vehicle and as a power tool. (laughs) Power tool. I love it. Instead of as what do we do normally is we look at our bodies as something that exists for other people. For them to look at, for them to approve of or disapprove of, for a man, or what, you know, to approve of or disapprove of. And that's all cultural and yuck. I mean, some of it, I suppose, is just being a human being, but to look at it as something that could do these miraculous things, it changed the way I ate, it changed the way I looked at sleep, uh, because all of it would affect how I was going to be able to run and be able to bring my best self to the day. Wow. I love that. You know, there's
0: what's cool about what's going on right now in our society is there's a little bit of, um, an uprising of body confidence and we need it. And people saying, why are you still showing the most stick figure, unrealistic, you know, wave-like models doing things that no one could humanly possibly do and show me some real, Give me some real, I want to see real. Yeah, And uh, I just, I love this. I think it's so important and the things you're touching on and the way you just stopped mid sentence said, hold on, I'm going to change that. I love the way my body looks. We all need to say that. In
1: fact, say it right now. If you're listening, just say it. Yeah, I love the way my body looks. (laughs) That's right. And the, the I've had three children, uh, two of which were a set of twins that were like, you know, seven, seven, and six, nine when they were born. They were ginormous. I have, again, with the vulnerability, um, I have this big pouch that will be with me for the rest of my life unless I have surgery that represents the fact that I carried these huge twins. And you know what? It's okay. Like I, first of all, Spanx exists if I want to go out to like a really nice dinner. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) And second of all, this is, you know, our bodies are, it's kind of like, you know, how they do history on a tree and they look at the rings of the tree. My body shows the life that I've lived. And so for me to in any way disparage how this body looks at 46 years old, I feel like I'm disparaging the life that I've lived and I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of uh of how I look and all of the, the cellulite and the baby pouch and all that stuff. It's part of my story. I don't want to take that away.
0: You know, there's, um, I've, I love this conversation. There is so much of this that I'm relating to. And I feel like sometimes we can't get there until we've gone through enough things in our life to reach a level of maturity and understanding and self-acceptance you know, on the way we're kind of cocky and we're driven by ego and we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And at a certain point, it's like enough, Mm -hmm. come on, let's accept ourselves here. And on that note, it's partly, you know, we keep saying about how our bodies look, but it's
1: really about how they feel. That's exactly right. Because you can look perfect. And if you're not healthy inside and you're dealing with fatigue, um, if you're not sleeping, if you have digestive issues because of a variety of issues emotional distress is a huge contributive contributor to all of that right to IBS and all of those different ailments that we have who cares what it looks like if it's not functioning in such a way that you can live your best life
0: you are someone that we all just want to get on the phone with Every day, <laughs> I could wake up and listen to affirmations by Jen Laforge. Oh,
1: golly! <laughs> you know, I, so, I, I that uh, I need to say it to myself more more than anything. So, if other people can benefit from it, then that's great. <laughs>
0: Well, you're right on there. It does start with ourselves. And you know, on that note, this has been such a fun conversation. We've hit the 5K mark, the average 5K mile time being 1147 minute miles, which is so awesome. And uh, we're coming down to the end here. And I'm thinking, this is where I ask every every person that I interview to give our listeners one piece of advice, one little snippet that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way than they did before. So what's yours?
1: Every woman listening, every person listening to this, there's something in your life that it's time for it to stop happening. Um, whether that's abuse, whether it's addiction, whether it's an intolerable work situation, There's something going on that you know it's time to put an end to it. Don't wait one more day. Do that today. Pick up the phone. Call who you need to call. Schedule the appointment you need to schedule. Have the hard conversation. Um, But life is very uncertain. So end that thing, that, that dead body that's in your room that you're not dealing with it. Deal with it right now. And then tomorrow, it's time to move into the next chapter and see what's next in your life.
0: Awesome advice. So let's get on living. How about that? I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on today. You are phenomenal. Keep doing wonderful things in your life. Everybody in this world is benefiting from you being here.
1: You too, Nicole DeBoom. All right.
0: We'll see you next time. That was a really, really cool interview. I wish I could have done that one live. She's just such a joy to hang out with. And uh, hopefully you all know people like Jen in your lives. But if you don't, you can always come back and listen to this podcast as many times as you want. And by the way, reach out to her. You can find her on Facebook, Jennifer LaForge, um, Running For My Life is her blog. And you can find her on Facebook that way as well. And don't forget, at the end of the day, this is very important stick this one in your head. You ready? You gotta try new foods cause they might taste good. Good. All right. We're over and out you know what time it is. It's time to run this world. Have a great workout. See you next time.